1: Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of My Straycast on Cast on Rotovis Radio, brought to you by the Blue Wire Network and our friends over at Underdog Fantasy. No longer your home for best ball. They will be in, in January, February, but now you're home for pick'em. You can pick overs, unders, pit players against each other. There's so many fun things to do with Underdog during the season. You thought, hey, it's the it's the season. Like, you know, Underdog is going gonna, gonna to go out. No, it's not. You'll hear more about it later, but awesome stuff is going on over at Underdog Fantasy. So week one is in the books, Daniel. Week one is in the books, Dan Sanyo. And there are lots of storylines from week one. We have injuries. We have breakouts. We have busts. So we had a bit of a boom bust episode. uh, But we'll start off with some of the bigger injury notes and and how that's impacting. You know, it's difficult because, you know, injuries have a more definitive uh, impact on redraft values. You know, you see that Dak is going to be out for four weeks and it's like, okay, that's you know, X percentage of the season. But how do we value those those states of, of time off in Dynasty? So uh, we'll start off with Dak Prescott. Dak Prescott uh, expected to miss about, uh, at least a month with his hand injury. Um, he also was awful. Like I, I don't know whether it was that the Bucks were good or the Cowboys offense was anemic or both. Um, but even when Dak was out there playing, it was not a, a good Cowboys offense.
2: Yeah, not, not ideal. Um, starting with the injury, obviously a, a fractured thumb, not, not good for a quarterback who need, <laughs> needs that part to uh, actually deliver the football. Part of me wants to believe that there was something wrong with him like all game, um, and then just maybe the last second, they, that's when the injury kind of was more noticeable. But uh, whether or not that's true, they were just outright bad. Mike McCarthy needs to go, but it feels like he's comfortable being a Jerry Jones puppet uh, as Jason Garrett was. So bad coaching, bad playing. Uh, It's going to be a tough, a tough month or so for the Cowboys, uh, especially without Dak Prescott. Uh, You know, the, the passing game was shambles. The running backs looked bad. It was just all around aside from Micah Parsons, uh, pretty much all around bad performance from the Dallas Cowboys. So, as far as missing the time for Dak, I I don't think it's we need to consider this like a lost season. I I do think he'll be back uh, I would say within 6 weeks, which is yeah, that sucks to miss. But you can find a stopgap quarterback for your fantasy squad in the meantime. If it's two quarterback, you know, maybe maybe you move off of Dak for someone with a little less value and and gain a little depth. Maybe you do something like Dak for, as dare I say, Carson Wentz and a a decent piece for maybe a team that isn't competing this year who just had Carson Wentz sitting around because nobody else wanted him. So um, I'm I'm not going all the way to like lost season for Dak. I think he'll be back and I think he'll be fine. We just need to know that this Cowboys offense is going to be fine before we make any huge leaps.
1: Yeah, and fantasy-wise, I think that the bigger impact isn't Dak, the bigger impact is, is Lamb and Schultz. Like, obviously the Cowboys are still going to have to pass the ball with, with Cooper Rush, or, you know, if maybe they maybe they take a peek at, at Garoppolo see what happens there. But I think that, you know, it's going to be hard to start seeing Lamb and Dalton Schultz in the meantime. Like, until until Cooper Rush shows he's any semblance of an NFL quarterback, which he has never done in his career, uh, I think that you kind of got to sit those guys out as much as, you know, you know, in redraft you took C. D. Lamb in the second, third round. You took Dalton Schultz in the sixth, seventh round. Like, you might have to just sit them down. I guess I, I know. Obviously, we're a dynasty show, um, but what what are you doing with Lamb and Schultz in redraft? Are you just sitting, sitting them on the bench for now?
2: Well, I'm. I'm always a believer of start your studs and and having Cooper rush throwing the football isn't going to be good for those guys. But we trust them to be the playmakers that not only were they drafted in the NFL to be, but drafted in fantasy to be. So I'm in most cases probably still starting them unless my draft went my way and I was able to get serviceable guys in the, you know, 10th to 16th round that can step in and and start, you know. Maybe you took someone like Curtis Samuel late. Now he's looking to be a little more formidable. Uh, there's there's all sorts of options. You can always play the waiver wire a little bit to find some extra help. But for the most part, it's hard to not start your studs, especially when they're that highly drafted, regardless of who's playing quarterback.
1: Yeah, so I, I, from a dynasty perspective, I, I do think that there's not much change in value here other than if you want to make a move, try and you know pick up some additional depth or something like that for a quarterback that is still currently playing. I don't know about the whole buying high on Carson Wentz theory, but, you know.
2: <laughs> well, I think it's less about buying high on Carson and more about finding reasonably priced quarterback points because his value obviously is going to have gone up a little bit, but it was dirt prior to prior to this week. So I, I still think he's going to be very, very reasonable, especially if you can find that, that match where – the team that has him doesn't really need him and doesn't necessarily want the points, but they're thinking, Hey, if I can upgrade my quarterback for 2023 and beyond, and maybe they believe Dak Prescott is that upgrade, you know, that, that could be, that could make sense for both teams. And obviously we're not out here always trying to rip folks off. um, And that wouldn't be the case in that scenario, depending on what the extra piece was. I'm not trading Dak for Wentz one for one, Mm. obviously, Uh, but I do think something like that, uh, or or maybe you go older, maybe you swap Dak and you go get like Matt Ryan and basically the full value of Dak on top in another piece, because, you know, at, at least Matt Ryan was throwing the football and, and stacking up yardage. I think the touchdowns will come. I don't know about the efficiency, but the touchdowns will come because they have enough playmakers and that defense have to worry about like a Jonathan Taylor. So it's it's early. It's interesting, but. The Cowboys, aside from maybe the running backs for me right now, are holds. Um, I will say that if anyone is still chasing Tony Pollard, uh, I'd probably be OK moving him at this stage. They're just going to get the box stacked on them all game, every game for the next four to six weeks. And they're going to get absolutely obliterated. And even when Dak comes back, this running game hasn't been what it was. The line isn't what it was. So I know this was a DAC portion, but I think a Cowboy segment overall, I think the running backs would be really the only thing I would actually be okay selling at at market value or even a little bit low on because I have a lot less faith now than I did coming into the season.
1: Yeah. I mean, the the positive case for Ezekiel Elliott was that he was going to be a high volume player, an inefficient player, but in a very good
2: offense. And now if you have an
1: inefficient player and a bad offense – that's not
2: going to be conducive to fantasy points. And the selling point is going to be volume because we're going to assume if they have to start Cooper rush or whoever they go find from free agency or a practice squad somewhere that they're going to be running the ball 40 to 50 times because they don't trust anybody to throw the football. Now, if they go get Jimmy G it's a different situation because I think that as from a throwing perspective, it's probably a lateral move from Dak. Um, you know, I I don't think that offense falls off that much if it's Jimmy G, but I think it's very different with essentially anyone else.
1: And let's move on to Keenan Allen. Doesn't appear to be a serious injury. Uh, Hasn't been ruled out for week two, but, but uh, Brandon Staley said it's not looking good. Um, So let's use this as an opportunity to kind of talk about the the, the more short-term injuries, you you know, doubtful for a week, maybe two weeks. Like, how does that impact your dynasty value? Is it really nothing like in, in anytime you can do, you know, market value, for market value, you're going to do it on these players and you'll sacrifice a week or two of production. Like what is your, what are your thoughts on, on a Keenan Allen type player where he's going to miss a week or two?
2: The Keenan Allen bit, I, I think is, is probably I'm okay with selling at this stage. Uh, he's 30. It's going to be a soft tissue thing. It's going to probably linger at, you know, at that age. They don't exactly heal up the way that they did when they were 22 to 24. Not to say he's ancient by any means, but um, these injuries kind of have been lingering a little bit. So I think if you can find a contender that probably doesn't need the points right this instant, and maybe they have uh, a, a highly drafted wide receiver like a Dotson or even a Christian Watson, you know, you'd know, you be able to make those deals super, super easy with a contender. And you'd probably be able to get a decent amount on top. Even going and getting someone like Jamison Williams, I think would be a really nice swap um, I think there's plenty of young receivers to be had that maybe aren't producing right away or are potentially injured. You know, there's there's a lot you could do with someone like Keenan Allen, who is historically great fantasy wise and obviously in the NFL, one of the best. Um, and the, the pairing with Justin Herbert is huge. So, you know, there, there's a lot to be to be chasing in a Keenan Allen for a contender and it, unless you are contending, I'd probably just hold. But because those points will be back, they, they're, they're, they're going to be back. It's not going to be like he's out for the season because of a hamstring. He'll be back. Um, but if you're if you're you know, a rebuilding team and you, it kind of sucks to take a little bit of hit on the value now when you could have traded him in the offseason to a contender, I I think I'm OK just kind of getting out from underneath it and taking a hit on value if you have to. I don't love selling below market, but in some cases, especially with with thirty plus year old wide receivers who are injured, um, I, I'm okay taking a bath and a little bit of value.
1: And our next player is a guy who's been put on IR, expected at least a miss, at least eight weeks. Is Elijah Mitchell? Um, this is a bigger worry for players that have lower draft capital. When you have six, seventh round UDFA draft capital, these long-term injuries can be a serious burden to your potential to rebound. Uh, uh, Tyree and Davis price is a third round pick. Jordan Mason is a UDFA that has shown some promise. And both of those guys are going to have eight weeks to show I'm better than Elijah Mitchell, especially TDP. Now TDP didn't, didn't play in week one cause he's He was, he's been outplayed by Jordan Mason, but this means that TDP, the third round pick is going to be on. He's going to be on their roster. He's going to be playing games. And if he shows anything, they're going to shift their gear to him being the RB1 sooner rather than later, rather than putting the ball back in Mitchell's hands in Week 10, 11, 12.
2: Well, I think at this stage it's going to be Wilson's job to lose. I mean, they've seen what he can do in the past, and they do trust him, it seems. Um, They do still have Kyle Juszczyk. I I would imagine that he'll be getting a little bit of, of love there as well, just because you do still have a bunch of young guys behind Elijah Mitchell and Jeff Wilson where maybe you don't have that full sense of trust yet. Maybe these guys aren't ready to be handling a big workload in the NFL, but they know Jeff Wilson can do it. Um, But uh, this is, this is going to probably end up being just a bigger share for Debo Samuel. I think he's going to end up getting six to eight carries along with maybe some backfield targets. I think he's going to line up there more often than he already was. And, they can just kind of streamline this whole thing through them, which should open up some of that outside stuff for Brandon and a a little bit, but I, I don't know what they do here. Maybe, maybe they go chase a practice squad guy or, or maybe they do really have faith in, in these backup running backs. But like you said, it's really tough, especially if, if Mitchell's missing a bunch of time for these low draft capital, you know, low invested guys to come back and, and fully get their work back. If somebody else shows that they can also do it in this explosive offense. So uh, obviously week one was not pretty for San Francisco, but that's not the the offense we're used to seeing, whether it's Trey Lance or a garbage can, which you couldn't have told the, told the difference between the two uh, on Sunday. So I would imagine Elijah Mitchell will be back in his normal role, but I do think we see Debo Samuel in the meantime taking just essentially all of the work that Jeff Wilson can't handle.
1: Yeah. And now let's go into the next couple. We have Najee Harris is expect- expected to miss a few weeks for the Pittsburgh Steelers. What are we doing in the, with the Steelers back? Is, is there anything behind him? I don't even know if off the top of my head what who the Steelers running backs
2: are. Oh, is that Jalen something? Uh, it's dead, it's dead bodies. It, it's yeah. they were planning on Najee getting like 350 touches this year. Again, maybe more than that, maybe 400. Um, but it, it's, I think it's just part of the, the lingering Liz Franck injury. From oh, the season. He, hold on. Breaking news. He's not going to miss any time. He said he's playing week two. Well, he can say whatever he wants. I, I, I'm guessing that if he's not a hundred percent, they're not going to just throw him out there, but maybe, maybe they will. Maybe they just genuinely are going to run him into the earth and let him walk after his rookie contract. Uh, which is possible. I just know that it's probably going to be a a lingering thing. He may have a pitch count. He may have just a carry count. You know, they're not going to let him get more than 12 or 15, where he's used to getting 25 and, like, 10 targets. Um, It it could be tough sledding for a little bit, especially if he's still playing, even at its 60 to 70% capacity. Uh, That's not ideal to heal something like that. He he really needs time off, but I, I... you know, it's a business, I suppose, run that man into the earth. Why don't you?
1: And we'll wrap up our injury segment with Chris Godwin, uh, obviously coming off the the tour on ACL MCL. And now it appears he has a hamstring injury. That's going to sideline him for a few weeks. Uh, I I saw some takes which I kind of agree with that he was rushed back from the ACL MCL. We, we, we so often see that players, uh, overcompensate for themselves with these injuries where if one part of the body hurts and they, you know, they're playing through it and they end up hurting another part. And so this injury does give him a better chance to fully recover from that ACL, MCL injury while also, you know, undergoing like a non-serious injury that is, uh, you know, a tweaked hamstring.
2: Yeah, the the rushing back I, I in my eyes is almost always a negative. I think once Julio was attained, was I think you just kind of let Godwin chill for a little bit. Put that man on ice. Let him just chill. I know that the two aren't technically connected as far as injuries go. But if, if he wasn't fully ready, which I'm going to go out on a limb and say that he wasn't considering he was supposed to have missed like the first month or six weeks or whatever it was, and all of a sudden he's just good to go, I doubt it. I get that these are like super athletes that they're they're gods amongst men, but no one just magically heals like that when they're on a certain timeline, and then all of a sudden, nope, we're just going. So um, this one is, I don't want it to be concerning. I really don't think that it necessarily is, but if any part of the previous injury isn't fully healed, and now he has this to deal with, I think this could just lead to more time away rather than you know a, a quick return from just a hamstring tweak. It, they, I, I think they may end up having him miss a little bit more, especially if if Julio is is gonna be there and, and take a bunch of that work. But that offense didn't look like the offense we're used to seeing. So it it'll be interesting to see where this goes. I don't think much changes from a dynasty perspective for Godwin. Um, he's kind of been pushed to the to the back burner again. I, I I feel like his value dropped a bunch. Um, and I'm not sure rightfully so. I get the injury is, is going to decrease the value a little bit, but I still think he's one of the premier wide receivers in the NFL. And, and getting to play with Brady, who looked very bad, by the way, uh, which he also looked very bad. I think the last time we did this on a season opener when he started for the Bucks, um, it yeah, I don't know. I, I think maybe it's a decent time to buy Chris Godwin. Maybe. I, I think that
1: uh, part of the reason Godwin has fallen in value is he has gotten a little bit older and more so like people are connecting his value. I think more so to Brady than, than they are Mike Evans. So I, and and a, by Brady, I mean a successful Brady, a Brady that plays better than, than yeah. week one Brady. Um, and I do think that, that to an extent that is a concern, but I think the, I'm, I'm more worried about the injury in the interim than I am about who's going to be quarterbacking the Bucks in 2023.
2: Sure. Well, Nathan, before you jump into the booms and busts, let's talk to our friends about underdog underdog is, well, it was your home for best ball. And, and now you're all watching those massive points being scored for your best ball teams and best ball mania three, all of the other options, but let's not forget about the pick them. There's, All sorts of different fun things you can do, not only with the pick 'em, but you've got the little, you know, the little three-person drafts. You've got MLB, you can you can play. You've got PGA, NBA, NHL. Obviously, we still have football. But Nathan, they just make it so easy to have fun to play all the games you want to play, and. As just a nice little special bonus, if you use code ROTOVIZ, R-O-T-O-V-I-Z, on your first deposit, they're matching it up to $100. Think about all that free roll you get. They just bankrolled you for a a fall and winter worth of fun on underdogfantasy.com. And all you have to do is use code ROTOVIZ.
3: are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health care provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new health care regimen, including EE system.
1: All right, let's get into the second half of the show. We have the boom. So we, we, we chatted up person once a little bit as a possible trade target for, for Dak Prescott. My worry, I mean, basically, we saw Carson Wentz's entire career in that one game. Like, we saw the greats <laughs> that could be great, we saw the bads that could be bad, and more importantly, we saw the bads, and it was against a bad team in the Jacksonville Jaguars. It's like I, 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 I'm I tend to be afraid that the fact that if your if your worst can come out against the Jaguars, it's going to come out against all the other teams as well. So, I th- I think that. He's not going to get that high vo- high passing volume necessarily each game like he did in this game. Um, I, I think that the the storyline of this game it, is the wide receivers with with Samuel, as you mentioned earlier, and Jahan Dotson with two touchdowns. Like, this is a very exciting wide receiver core. And if, if there's one thing for Wentz to hang his hat on, is that he has a better group of weapons in 2022 than he did with the Colts in 2021.
2: Yeah, and not only with those pass catchers, but in the backfield. You know, Antonio Gibson, everybody was... Oh, he's, he's not dead? He's not. Everybody laid that man to rest. They bought him his, his coffin, <laughs> picked out his footstone, and they sent him on, on down to the morgue, and just they, they let him have it. Uh, Antonio Gibson, not dead. This offense looks like it could be pretty formidable. Uh, the, their downfall is, might end up being Carson Wentz, but... I think we can kind of put Carson Wentz into the category that we had Jameis Winston in a few years ago when he was just slinging the rock out there, you know, just team was either behind or in a close game and they were throwing the football. I think he is going to have the volume regardless of the game, regardless of the score. I think this team wants to throw the football. They have those weapons. You have Gibson, you have JD McKissick, both great pass catchers. You have Terry McLaurin, you have Jahan Dotson, you have Curtis Samuel, you have Logan Thomas, all really strong pass catchers. We see the return of Curtis Samuel and what he can do with the football, doing almost exactly what we wanted him to do when he came out of Ohio State. What he did in Ohio State is is perfect for that type of role in the NFL. So we see that return. You know, Carson Wentz is going to be hot and cold. He's never going to be super consistent. He's never going to go out and just flat out win you a game against a good team. But we're not here for, for NFL wins and losses, Nathan, we're here for fantasy wins and losses. And I think Carson Wentz with these weapons is going to be able to do some, some Jameis Winston type things with, with their wide receivers and and the running backs. Dare I say, Blake Bortles 2.0, uh, I mean, that's, that's kind of what it feels like here, maybe a little bit less garbage time because they might be able to hang in some games, but I I feel like this offense is going to be better than average. I, I, I don't feel like that. They're just going to fall by the wayside and give us what Jacksonville gave us. You know, they were uh, aside from a couple of players, pretty miserable. Like you said, the Jags are bad and I'm not saying the commanders are good but they have the weapons to make a bad quarterback look at least average. Now let's go
1: to some of the running backs. The first one I'll talk about is Dontrell Hilliard. So typically if I see a running back who scores two touchdowns, who's a backup running back, I'm not putting a lot behind that because it's just not something that's sustainable. But what is sustainable for Dontrell Hilliard is Derrick Henry is not really a pass catching back. He's been a guy who's been running between the tackles his whole career, and for whatever reason, he's not used in the screen game. He's not used, you know, in the halfback wheel or any of those things. Dr. Hillier was used in the passing game with three receptions for sixty one yards and those two touchdowns. And so I, I think that how much the, qu- the question is how much does the pass catching back role matter for the the Tennessee Titans? And I'll say it that at this at least this much: it matters enough to be off of your waiver wire um it matters enough to you know be solid in like a best ball obviously it's a little bit hairy about calling somebody a best ball play that's off the waiver wire but if you're in a best ball dynasty league i would be all over getting hilliard on my team to try and you know get those best ball points because he's gonna have a few of these games where he gets five catches for 45 four catches for 42 you know that there's gonna be those sort of games and anytime he gets the end zone that's gonna be a start of a week um and so, yeah, I think that he is the most interesting play of, of the running backs that had big weeks. Obviously, you know, the big names of C.E.H. and Corderell and, and Hunt uh, all had big games. But I think Hilliard is the most intriguing, as he is a legitimate waiver wire ad.
2: Well, and what really is working in his favor, Nathan, is this this pass catching locker room is shambles. You're like, yeah, sure, they, they drafted Traylon Burks early, but he's a rookie. He's going to take time. He only had five targets week one. He he did a little bit with them. I don't know what the hell a Kyle Phillips is. He had nine targets and turned it into, you know, a a very, very white guy, Kyle Phillips uh, line and six for 66. And then, you know, everyone kind of had high hopes for Robert Woods coming back and just he only had two targets. So I think hilliard could be that the pass catcher in tennessee in the backfield we've been chasing for a little while because it's been derrick henry this derrick henry that and it was always well who's going to catch the passes who's going to be the backup running back and we've never had a good answer i i think we might have an answer now i do think hilliard should be up there as far as you know uh, you know waiver claims waiver wire ads blind bids whatever uh that uh, you know obviously the two touchdowns in one game is a little bit misleading but i think you're spot on in the he's going to catch a few pa- a few balls up to you know maybe four or five the targets are going to be there because not only does tennessee look bad they don't really have the weapons for him not to be playing considering what he did in week 1 and he honestly looked pretty darn good doing it
1: now is there a guy that that sticks out that you want to talk about between Saquon Hunt Carter
2: Allen, ch. Well, I I think the Saquon bit—it's just proving all of the Saquon lovers right, and all of the haters, a la myself, uh, are just going to point to the fact that he survived on two long plays, and everything else was kind of crap. Aside from, but that—that's literally been Saquon's entire life. (laughs) Yeah. So you're going to live by Saquon. You're going to die by Saquon. If he doesn't have a sixty-yard play, it's going to be a bad week. That that's just Saquon Barkley. It was like that at Penn State. It's been like that in the NFL. Uh he's like the least consistent, consistent player I've ever seen in my life. Yeah, he's a super freak. He's fun to watch. That the end of that game was really exciting. The whole bit. I I just he's there's no safety net with Saquon Barkley. Um that's that's a that's an interesting one. I think I think the big one here is potentially CEH, Nathan. You know I know we talked about Isaiah Pacheco a little bit. Twitter was going crazy about Pacheco. Uh I still think it's going to be a lot of CEH whether it's catching passes. Uh I don't know that there's really ever going to be a, a huge volume in the run game in KC because you have Patrick Mahomes, so why the hell would you run the football? But uh, that, that was a different version of CEH than we've seen the last couple of years. So I, I'm maybe... I don't, I don't want to say I'm fully back on board with CEH, but I, I think of the booms at running back, his was probably the most impressive to me because he's in the offense we want him to be in. Sure, he's maybe not the most talented guy, but at least now he almost looks like something... Like, he got it. Like, something made sense to him all of a sudden.
1: Yeah, and... With Ronald Jones not being on the active roster, we can operate as he, if he as, as if he got cut, like eventually.
2: Yeah,
1: doesn't exist anymore. He, he'll only exist in the event of a CEA or Pacheco injury.
2: R.I.P. All
1: right. Speaking of, you may have uh, claimed your wrongness on Saquon. I will claim my wrongness on the player who I said would be the bust of, of 2022. <laughs> <laughs> One weekend, my bold prediction is incorrect. Um, Michael Pittman Jr. Uh, He was very good. Uh, Nine catches on 13 targets for 121 and a touchdown. Um, Yeah. Like he's like that offense has nothing beyond Jonathan Taylor. So Pittman is going to get those targets. Like the 13 targets, that's not an anomaly. Like I, I would not be shocked to see Pittman average like 10 targets a game and you're going to produce, you know, unless your quarterback is just anemic, which Matt Ryan is not that like, he's not great, but he's not anemic either. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that Pittman is an easy I-was-wrong-there one with this one. I still don't necessarily think he might be any sort of an elite talent dynasty-wise or anything like that. But he, in his situation, he's going to produce.
2: Yeah, he's a volume funnel. And I, I think, you know, that I was kind of in, in tandem with you on that. that That one. I don't know if it's necessarily going to sting at all. I, I I wasn't huge on Pittman. I didn't have a lot of shares. Um but I, I, I wouldn't say I was like completely out on him. Um, I will say, though, as far as the Colts go, yes, it's it's all Jonathan Taylor all the time, and all of a sudden it looks like it could be all Michael Pittman all the time through the air. But let's not forget about Naheem Hines. He, he does have the history of pa- catching passes. He's going to get a couple of carries here and there. He could be a really nice add, too, if he is free. I, I can't imagine he'd be free in most places, but... If he is on your waiver wire for whatever reason, make sure that is not happening any longer because there's going to be weeks. I mean, he, he could be startable in, in some cases here. He had six targets, converted all of them for 50 yards. So I'm I'm, I'm still in on, on Hines. I know, again, I know this is a Pittman thing, but we always kind of transition to the other players that are affected by it. So the fact that there really isn't anybody else outside of Michael Pittman, um, I, I think Naheem Hines is probably your de facto number two here uh, until we see if Paris Campbell can ever come to fruition. If he can stay alive for longer than a week at a time, Um, we'll see if Alec Pierce ever turns into anything. I know he was kind of a hot name, but yeah, as of right now, man, Michael Pittman's a, a volume funnel. I think if people are still maybe potentially undervaluing him in some cases, he might be a halfway decent buy. but after a week like that, seeing him with a, a, I guess, halfway real quarterback, um, it could potentially be sky's the limit for Pittman just because of the sheer volume.
1: Yeah, the other wide receiver that I'm interested in here is Devin DuVernay, um, our, our buddy David. He he asked me, like, middle of last week, should I drop Isaiah Likely for Devin DuVernay in the redraft? And I'm like absolutely like in redraft why would you even have Isaiah Likely on a roster (laughs) um but Devin DuVernay the number two wide receiver and DuVernay is the perfect example of if this Ravens offense looks like the 2019 Ravens offense it's wheels up for DuVernay because there's not much else there's just Andrews and and Rashad Bateman who both you know obviously looked great in in week one so uh yes you know the the touchdowns inflate his performance a little bit but I do think that it's more that my uh, excitement about DuVernay is less about how he actually played and more so about that. He kind of just uh, secured that receiver two spot and the Ravens looked really good.
2: My one concern about DuVernay and I, I was a fan as well. I think I had like every possible share I could have had from rookie drafts however many years ago that was now. But my one issue is Baltimore's love for running two tight ends and what Seemingly, if they've found an Isaiah Likely, um, I think that'll end up leading to a lot more two tight ends with Bateman, and then you put whoever in the backfield. And that that is moderately concerning for me. I will say that Likely and DuVernay both had four targets, along with the Marcus Robinson, who also had four targets. Mark Andrews led the team. Bateman was second. Uh, and then we know what they are as a running team, whether it's Kenyon Drake, J.K. Dobbins, uh, not Mike Davis, and it seems like Justice Hill might still be living. So, I'm I'm I want to be kind of in on Duvernay as like a kind of just like a flyer because he had success in college, and it it kind of seemed like a role that would translate, especially into an offense like Baltimore's, where they are using that intermediate that underneath stuff, and that's kind of where he excels but they also prefer to do that stuff with tight ends. So I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant, but I want to be in. I want to like him. I, I want this to continue. I would love to see him getting four to six targets every single week, and I would love to see Lamar Jackson throwing it 30-plus times, whether they have J.K. Dobbins or not, because he's a talented enough passer where they're going to do some real damage with Bateman, with Andrews, if if one of these other wide receivers just steps up and continues to make plays and, and score touchdowns, um, that offense is gonna be really tough to stop if they're healthy.
1: And we'll go to the tight end position real quick. As a draft capital enthusiast, I'm I'm forced to be interested in one OJ Howard, former first round pick with the Houston <laughs> Texans now. But I'll be honest, I'm not interested. Like I I'm gonna could... tell
2: Russell you said that.
1: Okay. You can tell Russell that I have no interest in OJ Howard. And if I could trade OJ Howard in a third for a second right now, I would do it. Um yeah. I are do you have any optimism from OJ Howard? Like I I think Brevin Jordan's clearly the tight end one there. And OJ Howard just, you know, ended up getting a couple red zone opportunities.
2: Well, they had about 73 players get like a target or two targets. So it's Brandon Cooks, and then it's probably like Rex Burkhead. Um, and then nobody. So if you're going to bank on two targets for two catches and two touchdowns, um, yeah, it's a great time to sell. I agree. Brevin Jordan is the future at the position there. However, if Houston thinks that all of a sudden OJ Howard is the OJ Howard prospect we saw rather than the Tampa Bay OJ Howard, um, maybe this becomes a, a standing thing maybe they start running the two tight end sense with Howard and and Brevin Jordan with Brandon Cooks on the outside and uh, you know that that can end up just being messy but as of right now yeah there's no i can't say that there's a definitive like yep he's back he's here uh that that to me just seems like bait so if you have him and and stuck through and held out uh trading him for like a third i think it's <laughs> good on you <laughs>
1: All right, well, let's cover a couple people who busted in Week 1. Which quarterback are you most worried about between Trey Lance, Aaron Rodgers, and Thomas Brady?
2: Well, once Brady gets his next stem cell shot in his arm, so everything kind of gets back to normal, because it seems like he maybe missed a, a session, uh, he'll be fine. Rodgers is going to hit you with the R-E-L-A-X. relax uh, I have, I, I, the only worry I have in green Bay is the pass catchers, but it looks like Aaron Jones and AJ Dillon are going to be in a very long season, each getting about 20 touches per game. Uh, I'm most interested in Trey Lance because yes, it was a horrible weather game. Uh, Justin Fields didn't really do much more than Trey Lance did, but Trey Lance just looks like a lost puppy out there. I, I get it's like his first game ever. Um, it's not actually his first game ever. He's played like four, but it, it seems like every time we see him, it looks like it's his first time playing football.
1: Yes. But even, even so, even in his bad games, he does show the, like the ever so slightly of like, if he can just figure it out, like he's like amazing. (laughs) Um, and I, I, I obviously saw less of that with the, with the weather, um, so yeah, I'm I'm personally giving Trey Lance a, a weather a weather excuse, and that if he's in perfect weather next week, wherever he's whether he's in a dome or San Francisco or elsewhere, if we if he can have some nice grass against a okay defense, um, i I think that at the very least we can see fantasy success for Trey Lance. I don't know about NFL success, but I think we can see fantasy success.
2: Well, the floor because of the rushing, you know that you're you're built in like eight points and hopefully a touchdown. Because of the rushing floor, um, that that's just free. Anything he does with his arm is cake at this point. Because I don't think we're really expecting a whole lot. Uh, he's got the weapons to keep him afloat. He's just he can't be making the mistakes. I get the weather, you know. But Justin Fields wasn't good either. But they managed to find the end zone a couple of times, and they have nobody on that football team that can play offense aside from Justin Fields. Uh, and I think Trey Lance is. We, we're probably hoping that Trey Lance starts to look a little bit like Justin Fields. Not to say he looked great, but at least Justin Field has made strides. Um, I think at this point, Trey Lance is just. We're hoping for the rushing to continue to be a success. And like you said, what if he can just figure it out? If he can figure it out like 40%, this could be very, very Jalen Hurtsy. He, he could stick for a couple of years. And if they end up winning a bunch, um, he's going to keep that job because I've seen bad quarterbacks speak, stick for a speak, while. Speak,
1: speaking of guys who showed us exactly who they are. Jalen hurts had the most Jalen hurts game of he's, all time. <laughs>
2: he's such a bad quarterback and such a good <laughs> fantasy asset that it's unbelievable. Right. But even in that
1: game, it what well, he wasn't too great because everyone and their mother had a rushing touchdown, including him. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, the other bust that is a concern for me on this list that we have in front of us, Alan Robinson. I, I, I think that it's time to worry about Alan Robinson. I, I, I tried to cast aside some of the worries where people were just like, Hey, like what if it wasn't just the bears? And like, the, there's been a lot of like film showing like, you know, half, half, half run routes and lack of lackadaisicalness. And those are things that you shouldn't see week one with a new team. and, I know, obviously, you never really know what's going on in the player's head and things like that. But the fact that you, you didn't see A-Rob going 100% on every route and, you know, have any sort of success week one. I know the Rams obviously had a lot of issues outside of Cooper Cup, but guess what? Cooper Cup still still made plays. So there was an opportunity to make plays, and A-Rob did not make them.
2: The Yeah, the, the worry for me is Cooper Cup seemed to be option one on every play they they drew up that offense to, for the ball to go through Cooper Cup and then to go through Tyler Higby and then to go through Daryl Henderson and then to go through Ben Sk- Skoronic, and then to go through Allen Robinson. When you're the fifth read, it's hard to go 100%, especially when you're 28 or 29, however old he is, 30 maybe, and you get brought in to be a difference maker. And you don't get a play drawn up for you, that's tough. I I think that you're right. I think it could be an Allen Robinson thing, but I also think it might be a McVeigh Stafford Rams thing where he's just going to keep his binky, he's going to keep his Cooper Cup, and whatever else happens, happens. But uh, and and I I was the one that said Cooper Cup was going to be not you know, worth anything, worth a damn. And obviously that's looking really good after one week. Uh, I, I just, I, I find it tough to believe that another wide receiver, even though we've seen it in the past, is going to be as successful as we want them to be with Matt Stafford because of Cooper Cup. And because they seem committed to at least try to run the football and, and keep a tight end involved, they showed no interest in getting Allen Robinson involved at all. All right, anyone
1: else that we want to cover on the bust list for tonight before we wrap up?
2: Um, You know, it, it's it's early for George Pickens, obviously, with Trubisky and, and the way that offense. Obviously, they have Claypool and Deontay Johnson. I was hoping to see a little bit more of him. Uh, obviously, more from him would have been nice, but even just seeing more of him uh, would have been great. I think Mike Williams just straight up not showing up uh, is very Mike Williams of him. We, we saw that, that elite-esque pass catcher last year in Mike Williams, who seemed to be much more consistent, not just the big play guy, not going up making a crazy circus catch and breaking his arm or something crazy. Um, I, I think that one is stressing me out a little bit. And now with no Keenan Allen, we'll, we'll, he's going to draw top coverage every single time. You know, they, they might struggle for a little bit here. Um, Damari Cooper is a tough one. I don't think we have real high um, aspirations for him with just the gong show that is Cleveland, and then yeah. obviously CD Lamb with whoever's going to play quarterback until Dak gets back. But uh, I mean, he had like what do you have like 13 or 12 or 13 targets, and he caught like two of them. I don't know how many of those were catchable, but that was a really tough showing for for CD in Week One. So. We'll hope these guys bounce back um, because that's a, that's a lot of talent. But, you know, some things just maybe aren't meant to be, especially early on in the season when nobody plays in the preseason. Everybody's rusty. It, it showed there was a lot of bad football in week one. Some great football, but a lot of bad football.
1: Yeah, I see C U M The big one there is just I'm not counting on anything from him. And from him so. Dak comes back and yeah. I, I, I'm i sure that there's going to be a couple games where Cooper Rush finds him in the end zone a couple times, but it seems like it's, it's going to be a losing proposition.
2: Start your studs, bench your duds, and uh, enjoy the low scoring of fantasy weeks because of your studs.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All righty, that should wrap us up for this evening. That's it for week one. We're heading into week dose two, week two coming up soon, and uh, we'll talk to you guys next week.
4: Have you heard about the 2018 study that showed half of prenatal vitamins tested had unacceptable levels of heavy metals? No? Well, now you have. I'm Kat, mother of three and founder of Ritual